Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for for the way that you work in our lives. God, that uh, the way that you work to make us into the people that you made us to be in the beginning. God, I pray that you would help us to trust what you're doing. Help us uh, to trust in the times when it seems like nothing's happening. Help us to trust that you do know what you're doing and that you have promised uh, to finish what you have started in us. And God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us that gives us the assurance of your love and your presence with us. Lord, this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, we pray that you would help us to hear it, to understand it, in order to have hearts that are ready to receive it and live it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Once again, a short passage with so much in it. This is Mark four thirty-five to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Good question. Turning then to Second Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 15. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. 
It's getting on. Well, I mentioned a little bit ago uh, thinking about thinking life of life as a recipe. And when we look at the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, we see that, um, my goodness, God is definitely up to something with him. And yet, it's difficult to see exactly what God is doing. But uh, if we back up the story of Joseph, Joseph was the one of the sons of Jacob who had his name changed to Israel. Uh, Joseph was a great-grandson of Abraham, to whom God had said, it's through you that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Joseph is the one who had dreams when he was younger and told them to his brothers and then to his parents and saying that the dreams very clearly indicated that one day they would all bow down to him. Joseph, uh, having had those dreams and also being publicly the favorite of his father, was then betrayed by his brothers who sold him into slavery in Egypt, where he then uh, spent time in, uh, in slavery, then falsely accused, was sent to prison. That's where we left off his story, is Joseph falsely accused and in prison where he then had interpreted dreams of a cupbearer and the baker for uh, Pharaoh and had seen that the the cupbearer's dream meant good things for him, whereas the baker's did not. And so he'd said to the cupbearer, when you get out of prison, remember me and get me out of here. Mention me to Pharaoh. And where we left off last said that the cupbearer did get out of prison, but he forgot about Joseph. He didn't mention him, and Joseph was still in prison. That's where we left off the story. And we're wondering, what in the world is going on here? What is God doing? Is he actually going to fulfill these promises that he made uh, through these dreams he gave Joseph earlier on? Joseph having had two dreams signifying the same thing. That's going to be important in our passage for today. But it doesn't look like this is where things have been going. It doesn't look like this is where it's been headed. And we talked about like the maze sort of thing last week of how sometimes it seems uh, in doing a maze, you have to go the wrong direction in order to get to uh, the right way. That It's actually a going backwards that gets you forward. And so maybe that's what's going on here. Well, be that as it may, this is where I think the, uh, the analogy of a recipe helps because... The first six words of our passage today are when two full years had passed. It doesn't tell us anything that happened in those years. Nothing. All we know is that Joseph is still in prison for two more years. Two years is kind of a long time. I mean, that's a matter of perspective, I know. But think about this. Two years ago, none of us had dealt with COVID in any way. I mean, we hadn't had any schedule interruptions. We hadn't had any fights about how we should be responding or not responding. None of it. So all of that, that as you think back on all of the disruptions that have happened in the last two years, all of that has happened in less than two years' time. Every bit of it. So now think about this. 
Imagine that you had spent all of that time still in prison for something you hadn't done when um, in a foreign land when you have uh, even had an opportunity for someone to get you out of there and they just forgot about you and you've spent all this time just sitting and waiting and wondering. Is anything ever going to happen? In that case, two years does seem like a long time. But, good news. Last week, when we looked at uh, the passage, we talked about how Joseph started that, uh, the chapter last week in prison, and he ended the chapter in prison. This week, good news, he starts in prison. He doesn't end there. Here's how the story goes. Thus, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. I mean, come on, this is fun, right? Two full years have passed. Joseph's in prison, waiting and wondering what in the world's going to happen. And then it's like, two full years passed. Oh, and then Pharaoh had this super weird dream. Want to hear about it? You're like, wait, what about Joseph? Are we, are we just done with that? No, no, no. This is part of it. Okay. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. All right. There you go. This is how God is going to get Joseph out of prison. (laughs) What? This seems weird, doesn't it? Does this seem like the usual way people get out of prison? No. Normally, doesn't there have to be some sort of, you know, parole hearing or something? Or you've done your time and now you're out? Something? Some appeals process? No, no, no. Pharaoh's going to have some dreams. Some weird dreams. Some dreams that when he wakes up, he's like, that means something. But I don't know what. And so it says in verse 8, in the morning his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dream, but no one could interpret them, his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, And the other man was impaled. Mm -hmm. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. 
But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. This is it. This is Joseph's chance, right? Says response, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. <laughs> Wait, pause. What? This is your moment, Joseph, right? This is the time where you say confidently to Joseph, you know, the fake it till you make it, right? You're just going to stay there. Like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. Tell me, tell me what it was. We'll, we'll see what we got here. Joseph does not say that. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Hmm. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, see if this sounds familiar. In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads appeared, or other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. All right. And again, like we mentioned last time around, when you're hearing these dreams, if you've already heard the interpretation of it, if you've already read these stories before and you hear this, you go... Yeah, I see. I see what this means. I get it. But just so that you can remember that going forward, you would have had no clue what it means. Is I told this to all the magicians. I told this to people who this is the kind of stuff they do. And they listened to this and they said, I don't know. I got nothing. I don't know what that could mean. Which is why it's all the more amazing then in verse 25. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came, after, came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain, scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. That's the interpretation of the dream. But Joseph doesn't stop talking. Verse 33, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of the, these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. We'll pick that up later from there. But I told you, I told you, we had some good news coming today, that Joseph started in prison. He wasn't going to end there. But did you also notice that he doesn't just end by being released from prison? Like that would have been good enough. After two years of waiting and languishing in this prison and wondering if God was ever going to do something, finally, he gets out of prison and he's able to go back home. Nope. Finally, he gets released from prison and he's able to live as a free man in Egypt. Closer. Finally, he gets released from prison and is actually put in a position of authority over everyone in Egypt except for Pharaoh. Okay, that's quite a jump right? That is quite a jump, going from prison to in charge. I mean, granted, in today's politics, we think that, you know, politicians and prison go hand in hand, but I'm not sure that's always been the case. (laughs) And so to have somebody who goes straight from prison, normally it goes the other way around, but to go straight from prison to uh, a position of authority is a big and uh, unexpected jump. That just doesn't happen quite like that. So why does it happen? Why does he make this jump? It's because he interprets the dreams, right? Nobody else could do this. But did you notice Joseph couldn't do it either? He told Pharaoh straight up, I can't do this. So why is it that Joseph gets appointed this position in Egypt if he's already told Pharaoh, I can't do this? Hmm. Well, specifically what Pharaoh said when deciding to appoint him is, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? This is what Pharaoh recognizes in Joseph. It's not Joseph that he's actually appointing to this position. It is someone who is representing God. That's who he's appointing. Because he doesn't need Joseph, he needs God, right? But this is why it's so important that Joseph actually said when Pharaoh gives him his big chance to interpret the dream, hey, I've heard you can do this. This is why it's so important that Joseph says, I can't do that, but God can. That what he's doing in this moment is taking a step that didn't seem very like him in his younger days. You remember when he had the dreams earlier on and he's bragging to his brothers about it? That seemed a lot more, look at me. Look who I am. Look who I'm going to be one day. And that's not how he seems to come across when talking to Pharaoh. In talking to Pharaoh, it's, I cannot do the thing that you're asking me to do not going to happen on my own. But God can do it. And if he chooses to do it, there, there you go. We see Joseph now depending on God, giving glory and credit to God for the things that he's doing. I think this 
is a part of why Joseph spent so much time in prison. I can't prove it. But this is my guess. My guess is um, that when we look at the recipe of what it takes for, as we get to the very end of the book of Genesis and we see who Joseph has become, he's a very different person than he was when we first meet him in Genesis. And I think a big part of that has to do with what all he went through in between. And so I think sometimes when some weird situation hits us, we tend to think this is, this is a setback or whatever. This is just an obstacle for now. But if, as soon as we get past this, we'll get back to normal. We'll get back to right on track of where we were before. We'll get back to our previous lives and go from there. And it doesn't work that way, does it? We think of it like that, but it always, it's as we go through that challenge, even as normal as we get back to, we've been changed by going through it. So for Joseph, you think he has changed by being sold by his brothers in slavery in Egypt? I think so. You think he was changed by having been uh, falsely accused and ended up in prison when it seemed like he was trying to do everything right? I'm trying to do all the right things by, by God and by my master, and still, this is where I end up? You think that might have changed him? I think probably so. You think his time in prison, year after year, changed him? think so. But I think this is a part of that recipe of God uh, mixing up some ingredients, sticking them in the oven, <laughs> and letting something better come out the other side. But I think there's a bigger pattern at work than just, than just this. And this is one that we see, oh my goodness, all over the place. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says, uh, verse 5, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Do you hear this? And I say this is a big thing. This is actually um, quoting from Proverbs when it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. But you see this. I mean, this is what Mary sings about, right? When Jesus is born, like this is what God is doing again. Like this is what he does. He opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Now let's think about Joseph's story again. When he was younger, was he proud or humble? Proud, wasn't he? Look at these dreams I had. Look at how great I'm going to be. Look, I got this coat. My dad is, uh, favors me above everybody else. And then God kind of gets in the way of that, doesn't he? For Joseph's good. Don't forget. And then Joseph is humbled. And Joseph is humbled to the point of actually being humble. Sometimes people are humbled and all they come away with is um, bitterness and anger and this isn't fair and I should have been this other thing and I was before these circumstances happened and Joseph could have gone that way, but he didn't. He's humbled actually to humility. 
to the point that when he gets out of prison, he's learned the lessons of the life he's, uh, events that he's been through so far. He's learned, uh, you know, like Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Joseph gets that now. Apart from God, I can't do anything. And it is once he has learned this lesson, recognizes this is who he is in right relationship with God. Ah, now God shows favor on the humble, right? It is a familiar pattern, and we see it happen even in this one man's life. But uh, one of the other things that we do need to notice is even when Joseph is raised to this position, notice what a position it is. It is a position of leadership, but it's a position of servant leadership. Do you notice this? That the reason that he's in this position is because the people need a leader who will uh, help them get through the tough times that are ahead. And so Joseph is not put in this position of leadership to just do whatever he wants. He is put in position of, uh, of leadership to serve the people of Egypt, to actually serve not only the people of Egypt, but the people in the surrounding areas. So by the time we get to the end of the book, this is exactly what Joseph acknowledges, is that the reason that God sent him to Egypt was to save many lives. This is what he's actually been elevated for. Does this sound familiar, by the way? Of somebody who goes kind of from the lowest of low to the highest of high, sits at the right hand of the king, servant leadership for the good of uh, those he leads. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I'm hoping Jesus is what's ringing in your ears. <laughs> that this is a story that points straight forward to what we see with Jesus, who voluntarily descends, humbles himself, as Philippians says, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. But then God raises him up uh, to the highest uh, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a familiar pattern because this is the pattern. Uh, this is uh, yet again how all of the stories are going together to tell the story of Jesus. We will see more of this in the... Um, in the weeks ahead. But for now, I want us to reflect on how our stories tell the story of Jesus as well. Where it is that maybe we are too proud and we need to be humbled for our own good. Maybe where it is that we have been, um, where we have been humbled that instead of reacting with bitterness and anger, we need to learn the lessons of humility and come in right relationship with God through Jesus. That in our time of waiting for what God's going to do next, 
We know that just because it doesn't seem like something's happening doesn't mean nothing's happening. <laughs> Paul talks about this with a seed that you plant in the ground. And even though you don't see what's happening, it's still doing stuff down there. <laughs> so you don't plant a seed and immediately wait, expect it to sprout. It takes time. and You don't see it, but it happens. And so to trust in our times of waiting that God is still at work in our lives. And then finally, in the times that we are uh, given responsibility and leadership and authority to recognize that that is all for service and the good of others. And so how can we use uh, that which God has given us faithfully and um, for the reason he's given it? That ought to be enough to think on, right? All right. With that said, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for uh, all that you have given to us and the ways that you are at work in our lives. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to trust in you, to follow your way, to learn the lessons that you're uh, so patiently trying to teach us. Lord, knowing that you do intend to reap a harvest of righteousness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.